Good morning, I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. It's good to have you with us here today, October 1st, Friday, for our Congregation at Prayer, Guide for Daily Meditation and Prayer Around God's Word. Today, uh, this will be our last story uh, from David until David next week will hear um, appoints Solomon to secede him, succeed him, I guess, <laughs> not secede, to succeed him as king. All right. So and then we'll be um, hearing quite a bit about Solomon for the next, oh, it looks to be about three weeks or so. And then, of course, Solomon's death and the revolt of his kings, sons, I should say, as king. Good. Oh, let's see. Any other notes? I don't think so. So let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Say our memory verse. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, not about your body, what you will put on. Is not, the li- is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Matthew 6, verse 25. We say our psalm for this week, Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negeb. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come forth home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All right. Our first reading today is from James chapter 2. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give him the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But you do not know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. 
All right, so uh, maybe this sounds a little controversial to you if you uh, are of the Lutheran persuasion, especially. I think most of you are. I'm seeing who's checking in there in the chat. Um, and it shouldn't be controversial. What, what is being argued here is that um, faith alone, faith that, isn't, uh, that has no effect upon your life, um, isn't really faith at all. That's what he's talking about. Uh, I believe in something, but I'm not going to allow it to actually have its way with me um, in my life and the way that I um, work out in love for my neighbor, for example. I mean, every Sunday after the Lord's Supper, we pray that that, that supper, which we receive by faith, but we receive in our body, would actually work its way out in our bodies in love for one another, right? In fervent love toward one another. We actually pray for that every week, that that's what the sacrament would do, which is what James is arguing for. That's to say that if your faith in God does not actually change the way that you uh, behave, that you act, that you think about uh, your spouse, your children, um, your church, your country, your neighbors, mm, the, what kind of faith is it? Right. So uh, maybe you've heard me complain, rant, <laughs> something to that effect, about how uh, we often speak of theology in the abstract as ideas. We talked about that with, with hymns, right? Speaking of the qualities of God, right? Uh, rather than also speaking, those qualities may be true, but also speaking about how God is living and active and what, what does God actually do for you, in you, through you, right? And that's what St. James is talking about here. Is saying this is we're not going to talk about faith in the abstract as just an idea. We're going to talk about faith, the faith of Jesus, as if it's a living and active thing that the Spirit actually works repentance, forgiveness of sins, and new life. Right, a life lived in love for one another. Right, so faith alone, apart from um, any sort of activity of the Spirit, is not really faith at all. Would be another way to say what James is saying here. All right. Of course, our works are always incomplete and never fully righteous. Our, if we look at our works, we'll always see um, sin and death, right? Which is why we look to faith. We look to Christ, the author and perfecter of faith, all right? Uh, rather than to our works alone. And I suppose that's the Lutheran rebuttal um, in speaking, you know, say, for example, at the time of the Reformation to the Church of Rome, medieval Church of Rome, is to say, you look to works, but you don't even speak of faith. That's the opposite problem of what St. John's is talking, or excuse me, St. James is talking about here. All right, hopefully that helps. Moving along, First Chronicles. Uh, we skipped from Second Samuel to First Chronicles. If you don't know this, um, to First Chronicles, I should say, First and Second um, Samuel corresponds to First Chronicles. First and Second Kings correspond to Second Chronicles. And so what the chronicler is doing is something a little bit different than the author of Samuel and Kings, in that um, the chronicler is interpreting the events a few hundred years later theologically. There, there's a little bit stronger emphasis on um, the theology of the history. So it's not a pure history, but it has a little bit more theology attached to it, which is why we're using it today, um, because he's going to help explain why David's census um, is wrong, why he was sinning in, in numbering um, his fighting soldiers. All right, but first we need to read it. Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, 
Go, number Israel, from Beersheba to Dan, and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Joab answered, May the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are, but my lord the king, are they not all my lord's servants? Why then does my lord require this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt in Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to David. All Israel had one million one hundred thousand men who drew the sword, and Judah had 470,000 men who drew the sword. But he did not count Levi and Benjamin among them, for the king's word was abominable to Joab. And God was displeased with this thing, therefore he struck Israel. So David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing, but now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Then the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, saying, Go tell David, saying, Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself, that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Choose for yourself either three years of famine, three months to be defeated by your foes with the sword of your enemies overtaking you, or else for three days the sword of the Lord, the plague in the land, with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now consider what answer I should take back to him who sent me. And David said to Gad, I am great in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel, and 70,000 men of Israel fell. And God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he was destroying the The Lord looked and relented of the disaster and said to the angel who was destroying, It is enough, now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Then David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, having in his hand a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem. So David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell on their faces. And David said to God, Was it not I who commanded the people to be numbered? I am the one who has sinned and done evil indeed, but these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, O Lord my God, be against me and my father's house, but not against your people, that they should be plagued. Therefore the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So David went up at the word of Gad which he had spoken in the name of the Lord. Now Ornan turned and saw the angel, and his four sons who were with him hid themselves, but Ornan continued threshing wheat. So David came to Ornan, and Ornan looked and saw David. And he went out from the threshing floor and bowed down before David with his face to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, Grant me the place of this threshing floor that I may build an altar on it to the Lord. You shall grant it to me at full price, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. But Ornan said to David, Take it yourself, take it to yourself, and let my lord the king do what is good in his eyes. Look, I also give you the oxen for burnt offerings, the threshing implements for wood, and the wheat for the grain offering. I give it all. Then King David said to Ornan, No, but I will surely buy it for the full price, 
For I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings with that which cost me nothing. So David gave Ornan six hundred shekels of gold by weight for the place. And David built there an altar to the Lord, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, and called on the Lord. And he answered him from heaven by fire on the altar of burnt offering. So the Lord commanded the angel, and he returned his sword to its sheath. At that time, when David saw that the Lord had answered him on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, he sacrificed there. For the tabernacle of the Lord and the altar of the burnt offering which Moses had made in the wilderness were at that time at the high place in Gibeon. But David could not go before it to inquire of God, for he was afraid of the sword of the angel of the Lord. Then David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. There ends the reading. All right, scroll back to the beginning here um, and talk through it. Now again, remember, um, as I pointed out, uh, Chronicles has a little bit, no, a lot bit, <laughs> I don't know, a lot more, um, what do you want to say, theological implications, right? So for example, um, you'll see here, why did David take up the census in Israel? According to the chronicler, it's because Satan rose up against Israel there in verse 1. And their disobedience led to God's anger, inciting David to take a census. Whereas in, say, 2 Samuel, chapter 24, it says, again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. Right? So uh, a few distinctions there. Um, So you might put the two side by side later on. But here, the Lord uses, I think this is key, Satan, actually, um, to torment David. Uh, it's it's God rising up against Israel, but he's doing it by way of Satan, which is interesting. Uh, what did David direct then Joab to do? That's right, take the census, right? Go and number how many fighting men there were there, right? This is There's no taxation um, as we would know it. Um, so the purpose of a census in, in Israel, of course, is to find out um, how equipped you are for battle, which is how you gain wealth as a kingdom in their day. Huh, through conquest. Uh, but Joab, interesting, we met Joab yesterday. Joab's response is, yeah, he questions, why then does my Lord require such a thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt on Israel? All right. Um, why would this bring guilt upon Israel? Well, who fights for David? Who fights for Israel? God does. Does it actually, is it really relevant how many people there are? How many fighting men? No, right? We've seen that frequently through the stories. Um, so like in Second Samuel, then uh, it actually lists where Joab goes, right? So more historic details, right? And it says that after he'd gone throughout all the land, that they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days, all right? Um, interesting here in uh, Second, Chron- or excuse me, First Chronicles, it says that Joab did not include in the census Levi and Benjamin. Why not? Because the thing um, that David had commanded was abominable to Joab. All right, so Joab protests in 2 Samuel, but it doesn't mention this detail. So a little bit unique detail there. What did God think of David's order? Well, here again, a, a theological note, right? God was displeased with this thing, therefore he struck Israel. And what was David's reaction? Of course, verse 8, 
He's conscience-stricken because the numbering of his men showed a lack of faith in God, again, to conquer his enemies. I have done foolishly. Take away uh, my iniquity and my guilt, for I've done a foolish thing. In other words, forgive me for my sin. Uh, All sin, well, Luther says it this way, that sin makes us stupid, right? Foolish. Uh, And that's what it means to be foolish often in the New Testament, right? Which is to go against God's word. The wise man builds his house upon the rock, upon Jesus, upon his word. To be foolish is to trust in any anything or anyone else. All right. Um, God sends a prophet, of course, to spend, or to speak, I should say, to David. And the prophet's name is, verse 9, Gad. All right. And what did the Lord tell David then in verse 10? Yeah, he's given three options and he's to choose one. Door number one, door number two, and door number three. <laughs> if you like. All right. Uh, And what were the three options? You see those there in verse 11 and 12. We have three years of famine, three months of fleeing from the enemies, and three days of the plague. All right. Uh, He chooses the plague, right? Not to fall in the hand of man, right? Fleeing from enemies. If you, uh, a famine would also put you into the hands of man because you'd be dependent upon others uh, for grain, for, for food. So instead, the plague. And so who does the Lord send to ravage Israel? The angel um, of the Lord. The angel of the Lord. Um, Note the angel, there is an angel in 2 Samuel, um, and he is called the angel of the Lord. So that's that's comparable. Let, Let me fall into the Lord's hands because he is merciful, but not into the hand of men. All right. So the angel brings plague upon Israel. And how many die? 70,000. Of course, this reminds us of Moses uh, before Pharaoh, and uh, Pharaoh refuses to heed God's word spoken by Moses the prophet, and so, again, God sends plagues upon him. So here we see who's stretching out their hand um, against Israel. Yeah, look at verse 16 here. It's really incredible, right? The angel of the Lord standing uh, between earth and heaven, right? Um, who is the angel of the Lord? Who is the messenger of the Lord? The spokesperson. The word. Yeah, that's the second person of the Holy Trinity. And so, and that's really helpful with this text because then um, it helps us understand why, as he was destroying, verse 15, the Lord looked and relented upon the disaster and said to the angel who was destroying, it is enough now, restrain your hand. Um, this reminds me of uh, Salvation Unto Us Has Come, the hymn where it said, uh, and, and the father said to his beloved son, it's time for, for us to uh, have salvation, to bring salvation. Go bright jewel of my crown um, and bring to me salvation, right? So here um, it's God the father speaking to the son, right? And saying, withdraw your hand, show mercy on the people, right? Have compassion on Jerusalem because of the disaster. All right, we know where the angel is. Uh, it says here that he's by the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. Um, Arauna is the, uh, I don't know why they did Ornan, but it's Arauna um, in the other translations. I think that's more accurate. All right. Um, this should remind us actually some words of Jesus. Because remember, this threshing floor is going to be the source of the temple, the house of the Lord. It's going to be at the center. I think there are some photos inside of the 
temple, temple, Jerusalem, threshing floor. I think they still have, um, even though there's a mosque on the site, I thought I've seen um, images inside where you can see the threshing floor inside um, the temple. I'm trying to see if there's a photo of this, but um, there's not much inside of what is now a mosque on the on the location. Hmm. So I'm not finding a, a good photo. I thought I had seen a photo on the inside, um, but I can't seem to find one. All right, so we'll leave it at that. Anyway, this should remind us of a New Testament passage, right? Where he looks at Jerusalem and he relents of the disaster. All right, think Matthew 23. So this is during Holy Week. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, like Absalom, Absalom yesterday. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I would gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right? And he's actually doing that. Oh, he's speaking those words by the threshing floor in the temple. He's speaking to the multitudes um, in the temple, it looks to be. Yeah. He's dialoguing with them in the temple on this looks to be Holy Week Wednesday, I think. All right. Um, so what does David see? He actually sees the angel of the Lord, right? And standing between heaven and earth with a drawn sword in his hand extending over Jerusalem. So you often see Jesus with a sword and also with a, a scepter, right? So uh, you could say law and gospel if you like. There's another similar event where you see angels standing between heaven and earth. That would be with Jacob, right? In the stairway to heaven. Not to start to sing a song. Um, How had David reacted when he saw the angel destroying the people? So what a beautiful expression here from David, right? Was it not I who commanded the people to be numbered? I am the one who have sinned and done evil indeed, but these sheep, what have they done, right? Beautiful. He wants to bear the blame uh, in place of the sheep. And he suggests that this be done, actually. He gives a means here, also in verse 17. Let your hand, I pray, O Lord my God, be against me and my father's house. Right? But not against your people that they should be plagued. This reminds us, of course, of the way that the son of David, Jesus, took our place in order to save us from sin, death, and the devil. All right. Uh, What did the angel of the Lord order Gad to tell David to do? It's all here in verse 18, right? To build an altar on the threshing floor of Arauna. And why did David do this now? (laughs) He's listening. This is the word of the Lord, right? That God had spoken by way of Gad in the name. Um, Interesting that David is not the only one who saw the angel. We also have Arauna and also his four sons. Hmm, four sons. Who else bears witness to the angel of the Lord, the second person of the Trinity, the word of God? Four of them. How about the four evangelists, right? Who all witnessed the gospel of the one son, Jesus Christ, the son of David, and it's preached to the four corners of the earth. And through him, 
the curse of death is overcome, right? So we see in Jesus, he's like, um, rather than bringing destruction upon Jerusalem, he comes to redeem Jerusalem. All right, what does uh, David ask of Arona? Yeah, he says uh, he wants it at full price, it says here, that the plague would be withdrawn and he'll build the altar, right? Again, that the plague would be stopped. But Aruna's response is interesting, right? Right here, take it to yourself. And not only that, here's oxen for burnt offerings, the uh, threshing implements for wood, won't need those anymore, and also wheat uh, for the grain offering. He gives it all freely, which is beautiful, right? But uh, think about, well, here I'll read the same expression from 2 Samuel uh, 24. It's a little bit different. Aruna said to David, let my lord the king take it and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look, here are the oxen, the threshing implements, and the yokes of oxen for wood. All these, O king Aruna, Aruna has given to the king. All right, so it's a little bit different there, but it's the same idea. Whatever seems best to you, uh, but I would give it to you. But David insists on paying for it. Why? Because he says he won't offer an offering which costs him nothing. Oh, this made me think of uh, all those times that we um, we have collections, right? And people give of like the coins that are falling out of their pockets, basically, you know, loose change or expired food from the pantry or something, which um, as, at least to take David here as an example, considers it um, disrespectful, if anything. I don't think you would, you would say blasphemous, but, you know, it's not a sacrifice if it costs you nothing or if you wouldn't, if you're not going to miss it. Right, um, so I always look to the gifts of the church to be something that actually um, is a loss to you, but a gain for the church. Right? That's how you ought to look at your offerings and your gifts. Um, you know that you actually make sacrifices, not because they save you, but because um, that's an expression of faith. Remember from James. All right. Um, of course, it's fitting that he pay for it and that the sacrifice cost him something because. The son of David, Jesus, paid the price of our sacrifice with the greatest price of all, right? With his own holy, precious blood and innocent suffering and death, as we say in the second article. All right, once David um, has purchased the site, what does he do? As the word of the Lord said, he builds an altar there, right? And offers the burnt offerings and the peace offerings. And the Lord responds with heavenly, from heaven with fire on the altar, right? Which reminds us, of course, like back in Leviticus 9, when um, Aaron and Moses set up the Levitical priesthood, that first sacrifice made is consumed by fire from heaven. Um, in Judges 6, you can see it with Gideon. His sacrifice is consumed by fire. I think probably the one that I know best is from uh, 1 Kings 18, where um, uh, the prophet Elijah is doing battle with the prophets of Baal, right? Um, and Elijah's sacrifice is consumed by fire from heaven. Not only a sacrifice, but even the stones that <laughs> and the wood, of course that the altar um, was made of. Of course, what does this indicate then about David? All right, we already know he's king. We already know that he's prophet, right? Because he has preached the Psalms, right? But he's also the deliverer here who's making sacrifice for God's people, the priest. So he's holding a threefold office. David's unique that way, um, which we talked about back when uh, David was given to eat of the showbread in the temple, right? We already saw um, a hint that David um, 
would serve as God's priest as well. And of course, who holds the threefold office of prophet, priest, and king? Most notably is Christ, right? Jesus, anointed by the Holy Spirit into all three offices. All scripture testifies of me, including the prophetic office, the priestly office, and the kingly office. What happened after the fire fell from heaven? There we go. The Lord commanded the angel of the Lord, and he sheathed his sword. So on behalf of the sacrifice, right, the Lord relented of the disaster that he proposed to bring. So on the behalf of Christ's sacrifice, he relents of whatever disaster might uh, you might deserve or would befall you. And of course, what would later be built upon the threshing floor, we'll look at this next week, but uh, you can see it in Second Chronicles 3. Let's see if I can type correctly. Chronicles 3, there we go. Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David, at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And he began to build on the second day. Um, Note there that the chronicler also reminds us this is also the place of Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac, near sacrifice of Isaac. So there's uh, some beautiful uh, connections there. Mount Moriah, Mount Zion, and then the threshing floor, as we heard today. And of course, David hints at that right there in verse 1 of chapter 22. Meditation. Satan had tempted Israel and led her into unbelief. Even King David looked to his own strength in numbers, resulting in an occasion for God to release his anger against Israel. Yet David confessed and put himself into God's merciful hand, rather than the hand of unmerciful men. The angel of God stood between earth or heaven and earth to foreshadow Christ, the anointed one, who comes bearing the sword of the word that cuts with the harshness of the law, but who also brings healing with the gospel that overcomes the disease of death. Jesus, the son of David, became the true temple, the final sacrifice that swallowed up the power of death. He came on behalf of all men that the sheep who hear his voice and follow him might never perish, but be led into green pastures beside still waters. And there you might think of, that's right, from yesterday, Psalm 23. The sheep who hear his voice and follow him that they might never perish, but be led into green pastures beside still waters, like our dear friend Kay. All right, we pray the ninth commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not scheme to get our neighbor's inheritance or house or get it in a way which only appears right but help and be of service to him in keeping it. Tenth commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not entice or force away our neighbor's wife, workers or animals or turn them against him, but urge them to stay and do their duty. Good. Pray the collect for this week. Lord, we implore you, grant your people grace to withstand the temptations of the devil and with pure hearts and minds to follow you, the only God. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray for the preaching of the Holy Cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, for it spread throughout the whole world, for the persecuted and for the sick and dying. We also pray today... Uh, with all the households of our church, especially with Kara, Ron, and Nancy, Doug, Norm, and Sandy, Marlene, and Dan, those who are ill, receiving treatment or recovering, especially Tristan, Marcella, Elsie, Ron, 
Amanda, Dan, John, and Timothy, Janice, Sandy, Ken, Kathy, and Mike, our homebound, Bev, David, Roy, Willis, and Mickey, the missions and mercy work of the church, especially LCMS World Relief and Human Care. We pray for the gift and increase of chastity, and we continue to pray for the family and friends of Kay Winter as they uh, mourn her death. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. We sing our hymn, Sing Praise to God the Highest Good. For this we thank 
and praise the Lord, who is my one and all adored. Oh, praise and glory. He never shall forsake his flock, his chosen generation. He is their refuge and their rock, their peace and their salvation. As with a mother's tender hand, he leads his own, his chosen hand. To God all praise and glory. Oh, who confess Christ's holy name, give God the praise and glory. Let all who know his power proclaim, and the world restore Cast every idol from its throne, for God is God, and He alone. To God all praise and glory. All right, that concludes our congregation of prayer for today, Friday, October 1st, 2021. Uh, before you depart, a few things. Uh, first, today is Friday, so tomorrow, Saturday at 9 a.m., we will. Um, have congregation of prayer, but we'll consider the epistle and um, the Old Testament reading for Sunday that will help those texts kind of all fit together. Also do a little meditation upon those texts probably um, because we're going to have a guest preacher tomorrow and I think he's going to free text it. So he's going to preach a different text um, than the appointed readings for the day, something that uh, is fitting um, to help him show you well, God's will um, that we have a ministry like his. This is Pastor David Bloss in the Sheboygan County Hispanic Outreach. Um, so, uh, which is fitting. Um, but of course, you know, the readings and the uh, hymns will all fit together um, to confess some other themes as well. So we want to consider those tomorrow. Um, also, I did want to point out the fourth stanza here. This would have been a lovely hymn uh, to have sung yesterday at Kay's funeral. Thanks to all the those of you who were able to attend. Gus and Eileen, Don and Karen were there. Um, that uh, this this fourth stanza it really strikes me as one that would have been perfect for yesterday. He shall never forsake his flock. Of course, you heard a sermon on Psalm twenty three. Uh, that'll be available as podcast later today, hopefully. His chosen generation. He is their refuge and their rock, their peace and their salvation. And look at this. As with a mother's tender hand, he leads his own, his chosen band. Right. And what a isn't that a truth. Um, about the way that Kay lived her life um, in service here at the church and leading her children and um, grandchildren and, God willing, his her great-grandchildren into a life of faith as well, right? Just as the Lord has led her. Um, the other thing that would have been great about this hymn yesterday, just a little bit of a peeve here, um, is that it's it the tune, not just the text, but the tune as well, um, it sings with boldness and confidence. And uh, for some reason, and I'm not really quite sure uh, what this is, there's about four hymns, maybe five hymns that are the the favorite hymns for funerals. 
Um, and they're they're actually pretty soft, but not just in their text, although the text the texts are soft as well. Um, not as bold and confident as something like this. Um, um, but also the tunes are a little bit more, what do you want to say, melodramatic? Um, and the combination of that, of course, you know, it's a day of uh, mourning and we're grieving. Um, but also, you know, it's a day where we really should proclaim boldly and strongly the, the well, especially the death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, so we should have some bold Easter hymns or uh, strong proclamation, both in text and tune, um, like this, right? The God has heard us in our distress and he's, he hears us in mercy. He sees our helplessness and he comes with peace to share us, the peace of forgiveness of sins, right? Um, so maybe think about that as um, you do like Kay, uh, make some plans for your funeral. Um, I actually can uh, do a little, it can be one-on-one or we could put on a workshop where we go through um, what maybe what you might think about confessing by way of your funeral service. Um, this family, um, Kay's family, um, I know uh, Norm in particular was quite thankful that Kay had made most of the preparations herself. She had a sermon text. She had, um, what else? She, she had the poem that her um, granddaughter had written, um, who recited it yesterday for us. Um, also, she had her hymns chosen. She had a soloist lined up. I mean, she, she was really quite well prepared. Um, but uh, maybe perhaps if, if I had had co- that conversation with her rather than the funeral director, uh, I might have directed her to at least have one Easter hymn, <laughs> uh, something with a little bit more strength and boldness like this one. All right. So uh, yeah, just a little bit of uh, encouragement um, to begin to think about what you might have at your funeral and then also think about how you can put words Um, and even tunes into the ears of those who are grieving um, that give them confidence and strength for the days ahead, right? All right. So with that, um, I guess we actually are done now. Lord be with you all. Keep you safe. We'll see you again tomorrow.